0: I'm Jasmine Marino of the Austin Film Society, and you're listening to the World Is Wrong podcast.
1: Can you do a good an- Angelina Jolie impression?
2: <laughs> I don't even know what that, what that would be. What does just, she sound like? She's a white just, lady.
1: I don't know. Just, just a white lady, man. She, <laughs> the charisma. She, I'm, I'm swift becoming an Angelina Jolie fan. Her earliest <laughs> and her most recent, that huh, "Those I, Who Wish Me Dead" film is.
2: Yeah. She's yeah. She's just. I don't know if I've ever seen anything with her in it other than hackers. I think that might be it.
1: Well, okay. Well, the, sorry, let's do this. Sorry. Okay. Uh,
2: how do you you tell me how to say it and I'll say it. I can mimic well. How to say so fire? So like
1: fire. you got to make your make your lips huge, soft and big. <laughs> and then just We're Here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about you. Foxfire. <laughs> Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andros Jones.
2: And I'm the other host, and my name is Brian Connolly.
1: <laughs> you have a, had a hard time getting that out there. Uh, you've, been, <laughs> you've been drinking, celebrating your, your big win at the Prison City Film Festival. <laughs>
2: Brian. No, I was, I was trying to do Angelina Jolie with her big lips and it's hard to talk uh, without sounding a little uh, okay. drunk because I'm not okay. used to it. I'm a t- that's, I, have that's ti- called, I have tiny lips.
1: That's called charisma, my friend. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, welcome. We are here to talk about the film Foxfire, a film which Brian has not seen, but it was suggested by a great friend and colleague of his, and now, Brian, t- tell us about our guest who's going to be joining us. Uh,
2: yeah, so uh, Jasmine Moreno. Uh, I've known her for a while now. Uh, she, my wife and I hired her at Vulcan Video, gosh, 11 years ago. Something crazy like that. Uh, early hire and, and when I worked there. And it was one of the, she was one of those people that in the, and I feel she, I think she was like 18 or something. She was like just moved to Austin, like it was that week. She tells me often that I'm the first person that she met. Like, Chris and I were the first people that she met in Austin. Uh, but the interview was great. Like, instantly I knew I loved her because of her obsession with Voyage of the Rock Aliens, which is a movie I really like a lot. And <laughs> and I believe she just... Yeah, she just was so smart about movies and was just so excited to talk to her. It was like an instant hire. It was like, of course. And then she kind of became in charge of the screenings that Vulcan would do. We would do uh, screenings at various bars and places, and she kind of took the reins of that and was like, I want to program that, I want to do that. And she programmed really great stuff, really interesting stuff. And then that kind of led to her being asked to program a bunch of stuff at the Alamo and would do guest spots on Weird Wednesday. Uh, She did uh, the movie Naked Obsession, which is so good. Like, it's an erotic thriller. Uh, starring the greatest American hero, uh, William Kat. It's amazing, and she she's a big champion of that movie, as am I. And she's just a person that I'm always running into and always around. And then, thankfully, when I started working again at the Austin Film Society, she got hired to be one of the head programmers there. So I see her every day. She does the late nights and all the other a lot of the other stuff, and her programming is so awesome and so exciting and definitely like on brand for what we do here she programs movies that people would not think are great that no one's ever heard of constantly which is a hard job to do to do like a monthly weekly program of late night kind of stuff and kind of get people and like that kind of audience is a very cinema savvy audience so to find stuff that they didn't know was good or they didn't know existed is hard work but she does it all fucking time and is and they're huge like they are the big hits of every week like her movies do so well and her intros are amazing so if you're ever in austin go to any of the late nights usually it's like a thursday friday or saturday night she will intro it and she does fantastic intros and i'm just very excited that she has joined us finally i can't believe we waited till season the middle of season two to bring her in i'm an idiot i should have asked her last whenever you've asked me if there's anyone i'm always like i don't know, I don't know. I'm a moron What can I say I totally was sitting On a great guest And now Here Hopefully This definitely Won't be the last time I hope you had a good time And we'll come back For more Just cause she's so I just love hearing her Talk about movies
1: Yeah Yeah And she chose this film Which I had never heard of before Are you familiar with this film at all? Even yeah you it's haven't where, seen it?
2: Yeah It's where Clint Eastwood Has that jet Right? And he's flying that nope, jet around Nope
1: Nope Nope That's Firefox
2: Oh man <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> okay Foxfire okay okay I can see I bet there's some similarities maybe maybe like how is, how is the masculinity treated in, uh, in Foxfire because in Firefox it's pretty awesome you know uh, <laughs> um, I kid because I know uh, so it's it's not good. The men aren't good in this movie. Uh, uh, there's, but. you know, some
1: of them know, no, some, some of them are good in that they know their place, which is not in the story is to step, <laughs> step aside and kind of let, let the story happen. Uh, look good and let the girls do what they're going to do. So uh, that's, I don't know. Is that, that's, that's not really uh, Eastwood's brand. So, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, I, I'm I'm excited that you. This is my second time meeting Jasmine because I I filmed her for the that's Vulcan right. video yeah. documentary that's now hosted that. on our uh, on our intro episode, and uh, <laughs> I encourage people to check that out and to please watch Foxfire. It's available on YouTube and other streaming platforms. Watch it before. You know, before you listen to this, because uh, I'm, I don't know if, there, if there's a lot to spoil, but you should just do yourself a favor of enjoying the incredible charisma of Angelina Jolie in the film Foxfire, from which we are now going to play the clip. There might be spoilers, yeah. there might be spoilers, yeah. there might be spoilers.
2: Just as does do? He, um, he gets really close, and he touches my chest. What's going on?
3: Rudy's
1: making up shit about Mr. Button. I'm not! Okay, I'm not!
2: He gets behind me, and he he rubs himself on my ass. You should be glad someone does. Shut sh- up, Cindy. She's crazy, everyone
1: knows that. She's telling the truth.
3: He does it to me too. You don't count, Violet. You do it with everyone. Well, at least I know what I'm doing. Oh, half the story is about you, you are true.
1: Give it a rest, Cindy. Look, you're the assholes for letting him get away with it. No, no. You are the asshole for letting him
3: get away with it. Excuse me? Who the fuck are you? You're all assholes.
0: Because when that son of a bitch puts his hands on her, you should tell yourself he's putting his hands all over you. Or you, or you, or you! Because he sure as hell would if he could. So what are we supposed to do? Make sure he never does it again.
3: How? We stick together.
1: Foxfire from 1996 is based upon the Joyce Carol Oates novel Foxfire Confessions of a Girl Gang, directed by Annette Haywood Carter from a screenplay by Elizabeth White, the film takes the novel out of its 1950s setting and places it in modern-day Portland, where a classroom of high school seniors is being preyed upon by a biology-teaching football coach played by John Deal until the arrival of Lex. As played by a young and overwhelmingly charismatic Angelina Jolie, Legs is a feminist take on the classic high school kid from out of town who galvanizes a gang of girls to stand up to the coach and then to the jocks who want them to be silent about his abuse. Underneath it all is the powerful connection between Legs and Foxfire's protagonist and narrator, Hetty Burris, as Maddie. Although never consummated on film, I believe we are supposed to read their relationship as a love story. In the end, the film kind of loses the plot, but the energy of Jenny Lewis, Jenny Simizu, and Sarah Rosenberg, along with Burris and Jolie as the gang of girls hurtling through their teenage years in the mid-90s, makes the film a great new discovery for me, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. Welcome to the world is wrong, Jasmine Moreno.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So, why did you pick this film? This fantastic, foxy, fiery, foxfire film.
0: I'm a huge fan of this film and just in general, sort of uh, '90s women-centric cinema that I think often gets forgotten. But as of you know, the past few years, there've definitely been people who are uh, making the case for films such as Foxfire so people are finding these films again so I've always been a big fan of this era of filmmaking and uh I think this is one of the more interesting cases on a lot of fronts in terms of the actual subject of the film but also its backstory and sort of how it uh It it, it was distributed and ultimately sort of what that says about the state of women's filmmaking in the 90s.
1: I certainly was unaware of this film until you recommended it. So uh, you're doing you're doing the work that the distributors, I guess, uh, failed to do. So how is the world wrong about Foxfire.
0: This film was pretty mu- roundly dismissed when this was released. Critics, a Variety, savaged this film when it was first released, and if it wasn't just outright, you know, denigrated, it was sort of looked at as trivial. You know, it, it was easily dismissed as sort of, yeah, you know, a piece of fun, not quite put together. And uh, that was it. I mean, it was in theaters for no time at all, really. And a lot of that had to do with the critical reaction to this film, in addition to a few other things that were happening in the background. What was happening in the background? So this film was only released for a one-week engagement. This was one week, and it was dropped in art houses. So this is a teen movie, Mm -hmm. obviously a teen movie, that's been given a rated R rating, right? It's rated R for a very, very long scene of female bonding involving, you know, nudity. And, uh, you know, this is a rated R movie for teens. Nobody knows how to market it. It was supposed to be released in the spring. It was going to be like, you know, here's a hot teen ticket for spring break. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't make it happen. And at the time, like MGM was going through some financial issues, actually. So they were going bankrupt. So it ended up that they were going to shuffle it to the summer. But that didn't quite work because it went up against some of the other big releases. So they dumped it in like January. And it was released two days before Town, which is kind of similar. Again, like female bonding and what such. So it's released uh, two days before that. It came out a few months before Set It Off, uh, a few months before The Craft. So I think it just sort of got lost, you know, and you didn't have stars in this film. You know, we can look at it now and you've got Angelina Jolie, but at that time she'd only been in Hackers, which wasn't a hit. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, you have Jenny Lewis who at the time was, you know, she'd been in movies as a kid, but most notably like Troop Beverly Hills. Right. And then you've got Jenny Shimizu who's, you know, a Calvin Klein model and acting in her first role and not a household name. So you don't have stars in this film. It's a star making performance for Angelina Jolie, but I think, you know, you'd have to actually see seen that film to get it. Yeah. So you have all of that going on and it's a shame really, because the director of this film, it's like, this is her, uh, this, the fallout of this film, you know, this was a huge, this was a flop. This was a flub. And after that, she wasn't able to get another film kind of off the ground and for like 17 years. Have
1: you seen Savannah?
0: I haven't. I haven't seen it. Um.
1: Uh, it's not good. <laughs> I'm no. We're very positive here, but I watched. I did pay my dues to watch it. I mean, I didn't pay to watch it. I guess through some subscription, I did. But I just I watched it, and mm-hmm. I was. Uh, yes the 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 rebellious spirit was certainly. Uh, Hollywood beat the rebellious spirit out of Annette what is it? Annette Haywood uh Carter. Annette Haywood Carter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh uh well we can get into discussing it. I do not want to interrupt it, but it, that's one of the that's one of the areas of research that I did. I also watched her the film that made her got her like some uh this film, I guess, was the film The Foot Shooting Party with mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio. Have you seen that?
0: Yeah, I kind of tried to watch that a few years back. Um, yeah. What's it wasn't a big thing.
1: I'm not sure if Annette Haywood Carter... Certainly it was difficult a difficult time for uh, women filmmakers. I, In watching this, and I don't want to come in hot on the negative because I'm very positive on a lot of this film, but having... Watched it now a couple times and watched her other work. I'm feeling like maybe
0: it's on you, Annette. It's like, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it a yeah, maybe, I
3: mean,
1: maybe she just maybe she wasn't up to this material, like,
3: yeah,
1: it, like she was given a powerhouse cast and a powerhouse mm-hmm. story, the Joyce Carroll Oates story.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, yeah, well, we can discuss it, but uh. Certainly, that doesn't explain why this film, because the film is, I think, this film is much, much better than either of those other two efforts. Like, mm-hmm. this is definitely the high water point for her that she's been able to express on film. Uh, who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. someone who pines for the rustic old ways of the Deep South uh, will would love uh, the, Savannah. <laughs> uh, some, you know, Jim Cavitzel as a, yeah a, a uh a gentleman hunter uh it's uh yeah it's a it's tough it's a tough <laughs> it's a tough watch I had to break it up into two mm-hmm. two days, but anyway, uh not to interrupt, continue, continue on telling us about how the world is wrong about this, even if uh maybe not about Annette Haywood carter no offense Annette i'm sure I'd, I'd oh no I'm, I'm
0: yeah i'm good uh <laughs> i think uh i've covered sort of i think i think this film. There is, in, in talking about sort of, you know, filmmakers and their potential, I think there's a lot of, you know, potential shown with this film. Yeah. And, you know, you almost get the feeling that if she would have gotten something to follow this up with and a bit of support for what she was trying to do, it's, you know, perhaps there wouldn't have been a Savannah.
3: Yes. Uh, that's yeah. for
0: sure. Yeah. But you, you see a lot of those stories sort of in that time frame and a lot of, women sort of not finding their footing as filmmakers whether you know if they're filmmakers behind better films than this really so there are a lot of those stories from that time frame that i think is uh, they're really interesting it's like women given opportunities and then those opportunities sort of don't become you know um resounding success stories and then that's sort of the last you hear of them. And in this case, it's very, you know, you're done. <laughs> you're one and done. It's your big break, your big opportunity, in this case with Boxfire, And for others, you know, it's like they turned to television and were able to sort of subsist that way. But in her case, you know, she went to you know, teaching and wasn't able to sort of... Sustain a career in filmmaking for seventeen years, yeah, behind the camera. So it's it's always an interesting thing to sort of see where some of these women landed. And I think Foxfires are really what most interests me about this film, is honestly that, and sort of how it fits in with those stories of those filmmakers, which I think yeah you know, still haven't really been told. So yeah, that. It, in terms of the actual film, seeing women bonding, young girls bonding, there's always an appeal of that as a woman, because you don't always get that. They're not at each other's throat. One thing I appreciate about this over the Joyce Carol Oates story is it's, it's less a violent revolt against the gender order than it is just sort of, you know, stand up for yourself you know uh in general right not so much of like men 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 which mm-hmm. is very much hammered home in the original story
1: you know i just realized and i feel embarrassed now because mm-hmm. i actually know annette <laughs> she was the script supervisor on a nightmare on elm street part four the dream uh the dream master which i was in mm-hmm. and so gosh annette i'm really sorry uh Although, not so sorry, because why didn't you cast me in Firefox or Foxfire? Because uh, you knew me. Gosh darn it. Okay, anyway. You could
0: have uh, had Peter Faccinelli's role.
1: I could have been, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I could. I it, Come on, He's <laughs> he's got a, I know. I, I mean, I've seen both of our butts. You haven't seen both of our butts, but Peter's got a better butt than mine, and it's featured heavily in this film. Uh, it is. You know, but I could have played one of... You know, I play the jocks? Yeah, I can play one of those jerky jocks. Or like actually I really liked the sympathetic jock, the Eldon Henson character. That sort mm-hmm. of he was very it, overall, I actually I knew the casting director, Mallie Finn. She cast me in uh in something at though in at that time. And as I've watched this over and over again, I kind of think that she's the the MVP. Of this production mm-hmm. because the the cast oh, is so like you say, there's no stars, but that makes it even more impressive how many stars are in this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also part of what like
0: the potential behind this film. And yeah. This film yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, Angelina Jolie, like you said, is a. Like she's James Dean walking into this movie. She's oh, yeah. she's the Mickey G- Rourke G- and G- Rumblefish. G- G- She's, she's
0: Brando. Yeah, yeah,
1: she's all the cool, the cool ones.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Which yeah. made me want to say, like you were talking about other films that are touchstones for this. Either uh, I'm thinking more in terms of thematically, but mm-hmm. you also were focusing on that particular time. You mentioned mm-hmm. The Craft, uh, different yes. film, but same poster. Kind yeah, there
0: yeah, virtually. It's virtually the same poster. And I mean the craft is also it's a girl gang.
3: Yeah.
1: You
0: know, it's the girl game of magic, you know, but it's a girl gang. But I think also when you're looking at something like the craft versus this, you definitely see what happens with a bigger budget and uh, you know, perhaps a stronger script as well. But yeah, it's like you see a lot of the potential of the story when you watch something when you watch it up against something like the craft but i mean what do you do when you're like oh okay like we've got a bunch of these coming out at once you know And there are a lot of those like girl rebellion movies in the 90s as well like at this time so you know a lot of indies like fun which not my favorite film film i will not go to Mm -hmm. bat for, but uh i think that's like 1992 maybe 94 in there somewhere. You've got, you know, gun Crazy a little earlier than this. So you've got, you know, several of those sort of floating around. And this one, one thing I will say is like it doesn't necessarily stay so close to its source material, but it does in a way stay close to that time period because this film really does harken back to like those fifties girl gang movies, you know, high school hellcats, cats, et cetera, you know, and I love those films. But when you watch them, some, some of those films are actually, they're uh, sort of, you know, they're more in your face, you know, than this film is. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a lot of just high school hijinks, the actual, you know, things that they do in the film, say for the ending. But yeah, it, it's, it doesn't push so hard in a lot of ways in terms of their rebellion that you see on screen. And there are other issues, you know, with the film in and of itself, which kind of, you know, become a bit frustrating.
1: I have a few sort of areas I'd like to approach the, the okay. film from, just sort of in general. So one of the touchstones that I thought of that is, because we, we recently did an episode about uh, Jennifer's Body, uh-huh. which is a film that had a, has a similar story behind mm-hmm. it. It was put out by people who didn't understand who its audience was. It disappeared But it has received a uh, a renewed interest Mm -hmm. in part because of that story and in part because I think because Karen Kusama, the director, has gone on to much more interesting work. Mm -hmm. And that film didn't stop her. Yes. Uh, So... uh, So that's like one of the touchstones that I think of. And when you were talking about like the sort of the Annette Haywood Carter's non-success story, you could see like 20 years later, Mm -hmm. I guess, the Jennifer's body being like, okay, well, there is some there's some progress there. When I mentioned I was covering this film to someone else, they also mentioned that they thought it made them think of the film Foxes. Yes. Which have you? Are you Are you a fan of that film? Uh,
0: I am a fan of that film. I presented that film a few years ago uh, at the Alamo Draft House here in Austin. And it was a small crowd, although it was sold out, but very, very small. We were in the smallest theater. So we were sold out, but, like, there are very few people actually there. But, yeah, I, I do like that film. I have my issues with that film. But overall, like, I'm a, I mean, it's that or, you know, Times Square. Mm-hmm. Kind of a similar, in that similar vein. Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous stains. you know. Yeah. Legend of Billie Jean. And those are favorites of mine. They're also films that I think a lot of women love because, I mean, you don't get characters like that. You don't get like, you know, a lot of like girl rebellion like that. That's angry, on some level. But they're also so cool, right? You want to hang out with them, and this is very much a hangout kind of movie. You know, you want to join this gang. Yeah,
1: it it really is a hangout movie. Like at the end, it it confused me. I when I went when I, when I had watched it the first time, and I went back to it, I was like, so. What happens at the end? Like, did they? And because at the beginning there is a very direct conflict mm-hmm. with the with the with this uh, abusive teacher played by John Deal, and then it gets a little bit more diffuse because it's the football guys trying to put pressure on the girl gang to retract their statements against the professor, who's also like the the football coach. Mm-hmm. The teacher is also the football coach. And then it just becomes sort of like, well, Angelina Jolie is going to be leaving town, and that's now the that's the conflict. Mm-hmm. I, it, 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 In the book, because you've read the book, does it does the con? Do, is that is that a uh, reflective of of how the book tells the story?
0: It hits the major points, right? Like it hits the major uh, plot points, but the issue becomes like I think in the film. Yeah, you know, and as I was I was rewatching it, I was just like, you can't tell like how much time passes because in the film it's like, is it a week? Like how long is she there? It's not clear, you know. Well, she
1: has to go do like six months in prison or or in in juvenile yeah. hall. Is it is it six months it's, or a year? How long? Like,
0: is she- uh, She's gone for a while. And you're yeah. like, but then
1: the once the one girl admits that she lied to the judge. Mm-hmm. So maybe she gets out early. But yeah, you're right. It's very questionable. Yeah, you
0: can't tell. And it feels like a week passes, you know, you're like, how long right. is this? And, you know, it's supposedly that it's pretty much senior year. You know, it's all year. And you don't really get that sense in the film of how you time. And I think that also sort of plays into wondering what the hell is going on and like the sort of lurch of tone and uh, direction that the film takes at certain points, just due to the fact where you're like, I, it's disorienting as to how long any of this, you know, is going on and how long they've been friends or anything. And I think that's sort of, uh, that's a, that's an issue in the film that, isn't there in the book just because you have, you know, pages upon pages to, to flesh everything out. And there's some characters in the film that just, you you just, they disappear. You know, they just totally disappear. So uh, I know one of the reasons you want to talk about this one as well is that you have Jenny Lewis and it's like her character kind of disappears. Yeah. You know, it's like, She's there. there are scenes with her in her character, but she's just sort of introduced and that's it. The violet character is never really clear like who she is. It's like she's a she's the, the resident you know slut so to speak. Mm-hmm. but there's more to her. and you never quite figure out what that is. So, like those two characters in particular get very little screen time, but even Hetty Burris' character of Maddie, kind of, you know, her thing is sort of just stare, yeah. and stare at Angelina Jolie's character of Legs, you know, she's sort of sidelined. Everyone's sort of sidelined, and Legs is a character you never get close to, exactly. And never quite figure out her backstory. You know, you can kind of pick the pieces up. But you don't really know who she is. Where she's from or anything much about her. And then it ends up Jenny Shimizu's movie by the end. Sort of with the character of Goldie. Or us centering Goldie. In a way that's really unexpected. So it's, there's some some interesting choices being made there.
1: Yeah, that's that's where I feel like the film is just more film than, than that than the director knew what to mm-hmm. do with it. it Maybe have you seen the twenty twelve Laurent Conte uh, I have not. French version? I have not. It's not actually. I think it's in English language because I saw a preview mm-hmm. that's in English and it looked really interesting. It's very hard film to track down at this point. So, mm-hmm. but I it, I was very curious because it seems like it really tells the fifties story. Mm -hmm. And the thing I like about this film, one of the things that I think is so great is it really does capture a nineties Northwest feel. That's why I feel like, like this, like the music supervisor and the casting director are the real stars of the film. Oh yeah. And then the source material, which is, you know, is strong. And it's unfortunate because I don't want to like, Basically, I don't want to just like blame Annette Haywood Carter and Elizabeth White who wrote the screenplay. And at the same time, I do feel like, well, if I wasn't trying to be supportive of them, my support would be to point out that, yeah, they, they're they in over their heads on this film. Mm-hmm. Like, Angelina Jolie walks onto this film and it's like, okay, well, this I'm ready to make Rebel Without a Cause and I'm sorry, but they're not Nick Ray. Mm-hmm. They are. They got. They just got way more movie than than they could handle. And I don't think that has. To, obviously, that doesn't have to do with being women. That has to do with being first time filmmakers, who are in a situation that happens to a lot of first time filmmakers. I've worked with them. I've been on sets like that. It's you just get into a situation where, oh my God, because of casting, what we thought was a little million-dollar movie is now a $10 million movie, even though it's not costing more. We're now dealing with, you know, multi-million-dollar agents, and we are dealing with multi-million-dollar publicists, and we are dealing with just a different level of film. And it, I, I would love to see, like, maybe the difference is that if they were dudes, they might have got a second ch- second chance to...
0: Oh without a make doubt. Make that
1: mistake again yeah. or not. Not not without a doubt, because we definitely talk to a lot of the our show That's means true. we talk to a lot of filmmakers who get one shot, make a really good film and never get to make another one. And it usually has something to do with uh just that they made it. that they were, you know, that Hollywood is difficult, is very difficult on everyone, unless you are you're you know, unless you have someone having your back. And there's more chance that
0: if you're a, a dude is going to have or,
1: someone yeah. to have their back yeah. then at this time for women and
0: and for people of color in general as well there are a lot of filmmakers where it's like yeah their story if you look at it it's they never had that support they got a shot but they never had that support and they never had that you know person in the background sort of rooting for them and i think in the case of foxfire foxfire had been directed by a man it is without a doubt that they would have gotten another shot because of the potential you see in that film. When you go and look at something yeah. like the craft, the fact that I, I forget uh, the director's name, but you go and look at some of his early work. It's like, it's not great. These guys still got to make films and bigger films, you know? Yeah. And that happens. And I think that if you're saying when it comes to something like Foxfire, there is a great deal of potential with that film. It also is just a, uh, you know, a sad case of like everything happening in terms of distribution just set this film up to fail. I mean, it's just a week. You have one week.
1: Right. No. No. And in art houses, yeah, it's it's clearly it's like Jennifer's Body in that sense, mm-hmm. or like a film where they just did not know how to market it, and a lot of time that not knowing might have to do with knowing that. Oh well the craft's coming and we have more that's going to have a bigger budget and
0: Yeah it's like well how do we compete against this thing right that's coming our way and yeah i mean again it was released within like a few days of something like girl's town which was also released in art houses to more acclaim and you had, at least in terms of arthouse audiences, a familiar face in Lily Taylor in that film. You've got, like, Michael Imperioli's in that film as well, you know, at the time. <laughs> it's a little different, something a little different. But there are, like, some sort of familiar faces and that received more critical acclaim. And if you're talking about what's more of an arthouse release, it's that and not Foxfire.
1: This should have been marketed with its soundtrack and marketed as a Northwest riot girl film. But they didn't like that language barely existed, certainly didn't exist in Hollywood, because I was in Hollywood trying to use that language around those times. And Mm -hmm. no one knew what I was talking about.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a case of also being like, it's too on, right? It's too on. And it's too with it. Yeah. Yeah. You suffer for that. A great deal it's like you're just a little ahead or you're right on the money and people don't quite know what to do with that
1: yeah the soundtrack is amazing mm-hmm. you know it really captures yeah. that time it's
0: like if that had been released a few years later that would have been like mtv films yeah you know it would have been mtv would have released that they would have pushed the hell out of like that angle and that's what that film needed. It has those long scenes of like music playing and stuff. And you know, talking about that scene with the um, they're branding themselves, the tattooing scene, which gets it. It's our rating. But it's like that, that seems actually a beautiful scene. It's like Mazzy star playing and yeah, it's a, you know, what do you do with this?
1: So, so is that scene in the book?
0: Uh, Of them, like, tattooing.
1: Angelina Jolie takes off her top and then they all take off their tops and it becomes this female bonding thing. And when you said if a guy had directed this film, he would have got other chances. And I won't argue with that. That's fine. But I think if a guy had directed this film, if if that scene had happened and been shot exactly the same way... I would feel about differently about oh,
3: absolutely. it
1: than knowing a woman is shooting the the scene. And I still have a scene, The like my response was, I guess probably maybe the, uh, the healthy one of being like, uh Oh, I should leave this room. I, this isn't like this. I think that is this, so right.
3: Yeah. That's, totally. Her
1: taking her top off is not meant for me. I should like, and I feel a little bit like I should not, I should turn away. This is, I'm not invited into this, uh, ritual Mm -hmm. but the film is inviting me into the ritual yeah so I'm curious what do you make of that scene do you feel like it's one is that scene in the book and two do you feel like it it manages to communicate that bonding thing and not a oh we have a a chance to get more people to watch our movie because we have naked girls in
0: Mm -hmm. it uh i don't the thing is is i read that book when i was a teenager i don't remember if that scene is in the book at all uh, okay. um, i just don't remember but in terms of sort of the scene itself i mean i i think the reaction you had is accurate i mean that scene is a scene of just like intense like female bonding and like It is it's not really for you. And that sort of that sort of closed off quality of the film, I think, as a as a whole, really, you see throughout the film that it's not really for men, period. You know, this is not the film for you. They've cleaned up some of the sort of very sort of anti male language and what such in the that's in the book that I remember distinctly. But that's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, you know what? This actually, this isn't for you at all. And in terms of sort of taking off their tops and whatever, how that feels as a woman, I think also because Legs is so obviously, she's a character who's there just as like a catalyst for their awakening. And part of that is also a sexual awakening. And I think also this sort of, you know, nudity as she strips herself bare and she's exposed and they're exposed. But I, I think that sort of what's behind that is less salacious than it. And, and you see that in the way it's shot, too. You know, it's like it doesn't it, it doesn't linger as much as it just sort of stays in that moment. It is an incredibly long moment, but you're not lingering on people's bodies. And I think that's a it's a subtle difference. But a difference that I definitely noted when I was sort of rewatching is sort of how that camera moves about through the room. And you've got three out of the five girls topless, but you're not staring at them. You're not, the camera never feels as if like, you should be gawking at these girls so much as you are a part of the moment with them. And I think that's a very distinct difference, whether or not that was, uh, you know, let's, let's get some, you know, we need some T and this and like, this will really help. I don't know. But I, I get the sense that that's not quite the case, you know, and that's not what's going on there. Um, Not like a producer was like, I need some tits, you know, Uh, and they were like, well, here's a scene for you, because that satisfies anyone's urge to see that and you would have, you know, pushed it further, I think, and there's the potential to sort of push that film further in terms of the sexual content, which is minimal, because you have all of that sexual tension with the legs character and Maddie, also sort of with the character of Goldie. So, yeah, like, Legs is sort of androgynous and mysterious, and she comes through and awakens these characters. And like I said, part of that is a sexual awakening that uh, I, I almost wish the film did push that further, and it doesn't. But I think the film would become all about that if it did as well.
1: And I guess that's part of where I want this film to be a better movie which isn't fa- i mean isn't really fa- I mean it is fair but it isn't fair. It's the same way I feel about a lot of teen type movies. There is a different place that I don't know that Rumblefish lives than Footloose. Yes. And they're both kind of you know, like there's, they're still and this movie's the same movie, The Cool Person in Boots. Mm-hmm. Let's not even say it's not the cool guy. Like the cool person in boots shows up and shakes up shakes things up and makes people have to grow up and deal with how serious or how poetic or how beautiful and how tragic the world is mm-hmm. because all the grown-ups don't get it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and and this film I just there is a part that feels like it's trying that's where the 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 not the the sense of not strong direction is is that it keeps trying to be different kinds of movies and not in a conscious way, Mm -hmm. not in this way of like, okay, we're going to be shifting. It's like, I'm dealing with this powerful... I I just, I don't even mean this in a bad way, but Angelina Jolie walks onto that set and uh, throws off... I mean, she's playing the role you cast, but the amount of charisma coming off of her is going to throw off the balance of everything. And I was also reading here that... And maybe I'm wrong about this, but uh, when I was doing research on this, that Jenny Shimizu and Anna jo- Angelina Jolie had been a couple before this.
0: Uh, they met during and had a relationship like sort of during this, the making of this. And it's yeah, it's like uh, Angelina Jolie was with like Johnny Lee Miller at the time and uh, as well. And so, yeah, it's it's really interesting.
1: There's a lot to contend with as a director. You've got a lot who are still fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just and I'm sure you're dealing with producers and at least your distributors or whoever's funding this who aren't or outside of this group that you're constantly having to prove yourself in ways that any director has to, but the specifics of how you're having to when you're a woman in that situation, a, a women's team in that situation, is just going to be different. And it just, again, there's all these things throwing this film off balance. When you look at the previews for that 2012 version, it looks like it's not as exciting a movie, but it's definitely more a movie that knows what it is. what it is.
0: Mm-hmm. And this one, I think this suffers from what I think a lot of... Um, so in Turkey, sort of thinking about this time period, which I find to be like a really interesting time period for women directors, you find this a lot though, where it's like, it, it's not quite a this, it's not quite a that. You get the sense there's a lot of pushing and pulling behind the scenes to make this a more marketable and more profitable project. And that that comes across in quite a few of the films from this era from a lot of these women filmmakers and you it's understandable that they suffer later from advertisers, not knowing how to handle it, how to market this film, because I do agree that this film sort of, it seemingly has a lot of depth, but at the same time is just a teen movie. And, at the same time is going for something very different, you know, and, and you end up in that weird space that I think something like a Poison Ivy finds itself as well. Something that you're like, there's there's a lot more depth that's underneath the surface here that's not being explored. And you feel that and there's this sort of tension and this frustration within the work and that you see sort of on the screen between what was probably on the page and the finished product.
1: Yeah. There's something really zeitgeisty about it that it doesn't matter whether or not it's good. Mm-hmm. It's so full of energy and time and place mm-hmm. and potential. Yes. That it's, it's fun. it's it's kind of fine that it's a mess. It's only because I'm doing a podcast about it that I've gone back and watched it multiple times and have thought deeply about it that I'm like, oh well, yeah. This it
0: doesn't quite. Yeah, it's like, but you just <laughs> had the one watch. You would go like, yeah, yeah. I'd
1: be like, fuck Jenny Lewis and Angelina. I just be, mostly I just come away with what I what everyone probably should have come away with, which is Angelina Jolie is a generational star, mm-hmm. just. Like, let's get on with it. (laughs) That's, that's a, you know, and I think she, what's your, what's your take on Angelina Jolie?
0: I think she's great. And I think in this film, again, like, this is a, this is a star making performance. This is her rebel without a cause. She pulls a Brando kind of a thing too, you know? And you're like, no, the energy she has in this film is, out of this world and the magnetism and when you sit there and you watch her i i will say in terms of you know you said she kind of throws off the vibe it's like you know she definitely changes the vibe of this film you know and it's her film immediately i think when you see her in this or something later like girl interrupted it's her film you know like it doesn't matter who else is on screen evangelina jolie is on screen it's her film um And she has the ability to sort of uh, outshine her co-stars in a way that is equally compelling, but also can sort of throw off the entire tone of the material. Because whatever movie Angelina Jolie is in, I don't think anyone else is in that movie. And that's sort of a thing you see with this film. Whatever Angelina Jolie is acting in, I don't think it's quite Foxfire as it stands, as it exists. And that's what's sort of the most interesting thing about it and sort of sitting there watching it and thinking like, yeah, I think a lot of what doesn't work or what really works for this film rests on her, but also uh, she elevates the film just enough. But then the source material, the material at hand, the script doesn't quite serve her and her performance. So There's like a frustration with watching her on screen where you're like, I want more from her and what she's doing, but no one else is quite doing that thing either. And again, there is that sense that the film is a bit of everything and not quite it's not quite clear what this movie is, because I think they on some level did make, uh, you know, there's the little indie is in there and the teen movie is in there. But what they didn't make was like a Hollywood movie <laughs> at all and that's kind
1: of what's great about it the the very Portlandy Northwesty feeling oh yeah is v- lasting that's again to kudos to the director they captured the the vibe of that time and place
3: mm-hmm.
1: very well like I was there at that time and uh yeah it it feels like the truth mm-hmm that last shot at the movie where Hetty Burris climbs up the the bridge mm-hmm. in Portland and is running across there, and then there's this long, I guess, helicopter shot pulling away—not a cheap shot at all. Mm-hmm. Also, kind of scary because that's pre digital effects. So she's up uh, up on that bridge and doesn't look like there's wires.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that was a very impressive shot all around. Oh yeah,
0: and the echoing uh, that uh, first scene with Angelina Jolie on there as well, like off, like hanging off the rail, and it's it's terrifying.
1: <laughs> Which also it made it reminded me of uh, Saturday Night Fever. Mm. There's all that stuff on the bridge and Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. and I wondered, I did wonder how much the film. Was aware of the just sort of the lineage of that kind of movie, or and am I just projecting that onto it, or did the film was the film aware that it was hearkening back to these other scenes in other popular, you know, zeitgeisty teen films?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of those really interesting things when you're watching it. Like I said, it reminds me so much of, like, all of these, like, teen movies of the 50s, you know, and these sort of girl gang pictures that you would see from that era. But also, it's not quite clear if it is aware of that. I do agree. But then you'll have little nods at least to the time period and maybe the cars and this and that and certain scenes that play out. But that's also because it's coming from the book. So I don't know what the insp- uh, the inspiration behind some of the scenes that you see on screen, what that stems from. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's a film that I, I think, you know, as time has gone on, I, I'm really loving that people are rediscovering that. And I think there's because there's such a a desire to find films directed by women and the conversation has shifted so much since this film yeah Uh, that you know people are just really looking for those films and one of the things that you know as a film programmer i have to sort of contend with is i can't change film history for you right they're just films that they don't exist. They're films that, you know, filmmakers whose careers just didn't last, you know, and maybe there's this film here, that film here, but there aren't a lot of films quite like this. And I can't change that. And as a film programmer, you sort of run into audiences who want more of something like this, or they want to see, you know, more films directed by women. And you have to look for those. You know, they're out there, but you really do have to look for those and find those. And although, you know, more and more of the conversation has shifted and sort of what we're looking for has changed, a lot of the same issues persist. And the fact is, is that this is never going to sort of be a film that is going to really be considered a huge touchstone, right? Like, this is never going to be a film that people are going to look at and say, you know what film was just completely underrated, you know, box fire. It's never going to quite be exactly that. But I think what it is, is a film that sort of shows you the possibilities for a brief moment, that there were these possibilities in that time period. And I think it's important to note that because so much of the conversation today rests around, well, there aren't any women making films or there aren't that many, but they're out there. And you have to find them. And I think the biggest lesson of Foxfire and films of that era is that they were out there. You know, they were around. You just have to find those films.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'll, 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 when I uh, talk about a movie, I try and like have it on in the background. Well, and so while we're talking about it, I'm watching and there are. Again, I've I've been critical of the direction. I think that's because. The the whole is not as great as the sum of its parts, mm-hmm. and that's the director's to some degree. Although the director probably didn't have the final cut on this one, so but to some degree that that lays at the director's doorstep. But at the other t- at the other on the other hand, as I'm watching it, there are some just great scenes that show a an intelligence about filmmaking. Mm-hmm that is worthy of a second shot. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I was just watching the the dance scene which I think is one of at, at the time even the first time I saw it I thought it was one of the most affecting uh just little sections of the film. It's after the gang finds out that their action against this predatory teacher has encouraged other women to start speaking up. And they're excited and they're happy about this. So they go and they have, they start dancing and they're off in this hideaway house and it's a great, exciting dance scene. And then Jenny Lewis dances away and we'll get to talking about her performance because I do think there's something special about her performance. And just as she's dancing and in this moment of total abandon for herself, we see the football players come into the, we see them behind the window and Mm -hmm. they're now watching these women dancing. And it's that same feeling of like, ooh, like that same feeling I had when Angelina Jean- Jolie takes her shirt off of like, oh, no, you're not. This isn't for you. This isn't for you. Except in that time, it was this isn't for me. But then later when they show up, I'm like, no, 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 this isn't for you either. Go away. <laughs> and, the, and it's all communicated in camera moves, beautifully directed. In fact, that whole scene plays out across this window and it includes the ickiness of the guys watching them, but then that sympathetic boy and his sort of cute connection with Jenny Lewis and all of it through this window that is making this larger statement of the separation between the sexes, I guess, in this sense, but not just the sexes, the gang, the outsiders and the insiders, except in this case, the insiders are outside and the outsiders are inside. Anyway, I hope I described that well enough. I mean, if you've seen the film, then you know what I was talking about. If you haven't seen the film, you really should have seen it before we started talking about it because we've, we've been spoiling it. So anyway, so there's there's some real, there are some really excellent moments of filmmaking, even if all in all, it doesn't add up to, I don't know, a you know, rumble fish. Mm-hmm which is Francis Ford Coppola working 12 films in with the crew and Total Control and all, the, all that stuff that Annette Haywood-Carter doesn't have. Can we talk about Jenny Lewis's performance? Absolutely. In this? Are you a fan of Jenny Lewis?
0: Uh, I can't say I'm a fan of her music. It's not like it's, it's just not my thing. It's not like it's Got bad it. or anything. It's just not my thing. But no, she is great in this. And it's a very like sensitive, performance and it's a very natural performance and it's like you know out of the actresses in the film that it's like you almost wish she had the Hetty Burris role
1: yeah yes yes totally no no offense Hetty. I'm sorry you've had a very successful career as a tv actor and so whatever I say doesn't matter but yes please can we have Jen- that would have been Yes, a much better movie, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, I love that there's a scene where, like, there's a scene where Jenny Lewis is in the grocery store and she's singing. I actually am a fan of Jenny Lewis's music, and so watching her work her music into films is one of the fun things about watching Jenny Lewis sort of transition out of. Being an actor, mm-hmm. it, it, she does it in Don's Plum. She does it in this, where she works in her playing music or singing a song or talking about writing a song, and I don't know. I just I love that. I love that. And I she's she's an actor who I know. You know, she could if she wanted to be in movies, she could be in movies. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, and she chooses not to. But I think it is such a waste. I'm um, not a waste. Uh, it's such a tragedy for me because I really like her as a young actor and I really uh, have immense respect for her as an adult artist, sing- performer, you know, songwriter. And she certainly has grown into a compelling iteration of this girl that we know on film. Mm. And to see her at least once play an adult, like, you know, sort of tie that bow and play an adult role in in films. Uh, not in adult films. In a, a grown up, like not a playing a not playing a teenager, playing a grown up in films would be. Uh, I, I'm still holding out hope that somewhere, P.T. Anderson or some a director of that stature can like lure her out of her exile from cinema and and bring her back, but. Okay, just make that was my that was my little plea to the universe for more Jenny Lewis on film. Anything else you have to say about Jenny Lewis in this film or there's I I'd like to just like kind of walk through the cast and and see if there's anyone else that deserves high praise.
0: Well, it's like um, I forget the the name of the actress who plays Violet,
1: Sarah Rosenberg, she's great in it and yes, let's talk about her. Yeah,
0: no, she's wonderful, and the sort of, like, you know, broken doll quality to her, and, you know, both she and Jenny are really wonderful, and I feel like if there's anyone who kind of, you want to switch up Petty Burris' role with Jenny, and if I had my way, Jenny Shimizu is, like, yeah, she's a great face, but she's not, she's not selling me in this movie, and Mm -hmm. That's like the weak point in terms of the casting. It's like she's a great face, but she's not quite up to the task of her character. But when you see the character Violet and she's wonderful and she's barely in film, you know, you forget that she's there. Which is such a shame. And they're speaking of that scene with Jenny Lewis singing, it's like it's her in that scene as well.
3: Mm-hmm. But
0: yeah, it's like those two characters don't really get enough screen time. And then Hetty Burris' as Maddie just sort of disappears a little just because of the, the nature of that role. But also she's the one most often up against Angelina Jolie in a scene. And it, it's like whatever you do, I mean, you're in someone's shadow, right? So, yeah, I feel like my I think the cast is fantastic, sort of with the exception of Jenny Shimizu. But Jenny Shimizu is so charismatic and you want to like her, you know, you want to like her. And there's something very, uh, you know, she's very striking. And there's something sort of lived in in like her character where you get this sense like Jenny Shimizu might be closer to this character than any of the like other people are to their characters, beyond Angelina Jolie. So that sort of like rebel character that she, I think, probably understands. You get that sense. But she's sort of my one... like If I had to look at one person to just sort of boot from the cast, it unfortunately is Jenny Shimizu. But I think everyone is so wonderful in this film that you just sort of, you know, again yeah, you, know, you see the potential of everyone in this film, and I think there's so much potential on screen that it's uh yeah, you know, it's it's a joy to sort of watch on that front as well.
1: When I was doing research on this, I was sure that I had seen Sarah Rosenberg in something like as a regular on some series. Like she seemed so familiar, and then I went and looked, and nothing, really, yeah. nothing. She, Her picture's not even on IMDb. She reminds me of like a young Leslie Ann Warren.
3: Mm.
1: you know. Mm-hmm. It, and it's that same kind of quality, this sort of broken beauty,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as the, I think the way you described yeah. it.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like a broken doll quality. There's something
1: broken doll yeah
0: yeah and you do just sort of want to like give that girl a hug like you know you get this sense like you need a hug maybe you know you want to kind of help her and you don't see a lot of her she's at the very beginning of the film and then just sort of slowly disappears throughout and speaking of differences between the the book and and the film it's like I do recall that like in the book there are many more girls. You know, like, these are the core group, but uh, there are other girls that join this gang. And yeah, like, I appreciate that the film sort of focuses and doesn't have that element where other girls are sort of joining them or anything like that. But at the same time, you sort of have that, you sort of expend a lot of characters, you know, Uh, especially by the time you get to sort of the... The final act of the film it's like they they're barely there they're there just to sort of react to legs you know
1: yeah and like at the end i'm unclear if the if the coach has been if he if they actually got rid of him or if he won his like that that sort of disappears mm-hmm. the issue of this of this predatory coach t slash teacher and it's it. then it becomes sort of just about how Legs has made these—turn these girls into rebellious uh, elements in their families or in their other—in the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And then it's—then it really is just that Legs is leaving town, and it's a breakup, sort of this sad breakup scene. That's the end of the movie. And— There is a part of me that wonders, Okay, I I think this is one of the good things about the emergence of more women filmmakers and just being aware of a film being directed by a woman is that the disorienting or alienating experience I have of like, is this isn't made for me, and so I'm trying to get my mind around okay, are the things that don't work for me, are those the film not working, or is that that the film is just more interested in something that I'm not used to? Like, that the big that what this film in the end is all about is about Maddie and legs, and all of this other stuff that I consider like important plot stuff is more important to me but not important to the movie or who it's made for and then the question that then is like that I ask find myself asking is like wait has this been what it's been like for every woman ever to watch all of the movies that I (laughs) consider essential (laughs) like like you have to do this math every time you watch a movie that's a lot of work that's a lot of that's a lot
2: of work to do well
0: I think you're. Yeah. So like this is, you know, and speaking of some of the scenes that we've we've touched on, it's like there is uh, it isn't for for you, <laughs> you know, it really isn't. <laughs> and it's, it's a film that I think, again, talking about sort of the renewed interest in this film and others of that time period, it's very clear that these are films made with women or girls in mind. And, you know, when it comes to something, you know, that came out a few years after this, which is all I want to do, girls also sort of rebelling and, you know, it's a lot of fun. But that film's not for, for men, it's not for boys, and you get that throughout. And I think one of the things with Foxfire that is particularly interesting is it's a it's a vibe, you know, and you're just hanging out. So I think all of those sort of details that, as you mentioned, seem very important to you are totally irrelevant for someone like (laughs) me, because I just want to hang out with these girls. You know, I want this gang. I want to be a part of this gang. And I could be, you know, and that there's that sort of excitement Uh, when you watch something like The Craft as well, which not written or directed. By a woman but you watch the craft and I think a lot of the appeal of the craft is like hanging out with these girls you know you want to hang out with these girls and seeing also these girls as outsiders and watching them sort of struggle to find their place is very interesting and again it's something that you don't always see you know for women and for young girls characters like this on screen you know there aren't a lot of legs you know, and uh, there are not a lot of characters like that for women at all. Well,
1: there's not a lot of Angelina Jolie's. Like, to be honest, there's not. Like, yeah. I, I went back and I was like, this reminds me of that movie Reckless mm. from like with uh, Aiden Quinn and Daryl Hannah. I know that. The whole time I was like, and, and I but I went back and watched it. I was like, no, Aiden Quinn is not like at for my teenage self. I was like, I want to be you mm-hmm. And as an adult. I'm like. Yeah, you're not James Dean or Angelina Jolie. You're still you're Aiden Quinn, and that's fine. But it, there's a difference. There, <laughs> there's a. It's very rare that that this kind of charisma mm-hmm. just finds its way into into films and is that sure of itself. I don't, yeah. Like,
0: but I mean, you know, when you watch something like other films of hers, like uh, you know, sort of this similar. Not in a way of just sort of hanging out with a bunch of women um, and of different types and backstories, is like Girl Interrupted. Mm-hmm. And it's like she's right there with like this incredible cast. Yeah. It's an incredible cast, you know, uh, one on a writer, Brittany Murphy. And you're sitting there and it's like, no, this is Angelina's movie. Like, you know, like this is, you know, what was the joke? She girl interrupted.
3: <laughs>
0: and like, yeah, she has that ability to just sort of she steals the moment to, by sheer charisma and force of personality as soon as she walks on screen. So it's like you can't take your eyes off of her. But in terms of even the writing, there aren't many characters like that for women, you know, that is strictly reserved to, you know, to men. That's, that's the place of, of men and, you know. The James Dean, the Brando. It, it is that role. You have to expect her to like show up in like a crew neck t shirt with her sleeves rolled up and like a packet of cigarettes, you know? And that's sort of the end.
1: Well, they play with that at the beginning when she shows mm-hmm. up and we just see her boots and we see her and then she drops her switchblade and then she's walking down the hall and someone says, Hey, young man. Tell me where you're going.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like, is she a boy? Or whatever she is, is one of the lines. Like, there's a there's yeah. a girl or whatever waiting for you. And you're like, uh, this is clearly just a girl with short hair. But, But like, you know, she has this sort of androgynous energy about her that is very compelling to watch on screen because it's not something you really see often. And it's interesting when you watch her and the Jenny Shimizu character because they had actually gone up for the same role in the film. I think. And it was like you watch her and it's like Ginny Shimizu you wish had that sort of similar quality just based on her look. You know, you kind of expect that from her. Not so much of Angelina Jolie, who if you're just looking at her, you wouldn't expect like this sort of hardened edge to her at all, which I think is also like an interesting thing and sort of a source of tension watching her always on screen. Her
1: character and just her look in the film also reminds me, when you're talking about that there aren't other uh, female roles written like this. Another one that is like this is like the Catherine Moaning character from The L Word. And Mm -hmm. I had to look up the actress's name. I also know her from, uh, she's also on Ray Donovan. Mm -hmm. And she has that same kind of like style. There's a stunning physicality to her face, but this really deep, unaffected coolness Mm -hmm. that, you know. And then, like, I guess she gets cast in those kind of roles. I'm just trying to think of other examples. I'm sure there's got to be something Nicole. There's got to be a Nicole Kidman something in there. uh, Because she also, like, in order to play that thing, you kind of have to have that Brando, James Dean Mickey Rourke thing of being like beautiful in just a weird enough way so that it's not like, so that you, you relate to it as opposed to you're sort of repelled by it. Like, Oh, you're too beautiful. Peter Facinelli. Mm-hmm. I only, I want you to show up in this movie and then go away.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, see,
1: but so, yeah, uh, I just want
0: to say, cause we've not at all talked about the, the male component of this film really. And, like, Peter Facinelli is, like, uh, in his Skeet Ulrich role, you know, which is mm-hmm. basically not Johnny Depp. Like, it's like if they could cast Johnny Depp, they would have. Right. And you could sort of see that. But I, I kind of love that his character is just like, whatever these girls are doing, cool, whatever. I, I got some thoughts, but I'm just going to let you do what you do. You know, he just sort of backs off, which I at least appreciate in that film where it's like the men just sort of back off with very little fight and with the exception of like you know the coach and the father at the end they generally just sort of go okay the girls are being girls and we're going to stay away from this whatever this is generally which I really love because it gives them space but also again doesn't sort of take on this quality it's less that they're fighting against men than they are finding themselves which i really appreciate and think is a really smart choice in this film
1: and uh yeah i know and then obviously then all the adults they brought out the the big guns they got richard bamer and kathy moriarty who was is- and John. Yeah, totally.
0: Oh, oh Kathy Mattea already is like totally just. You're like, oh wait, you're here too, like you. Yeah. Her twice in the entire film, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. It's like by that point she's a big enough name to like, oh, let's have a big scene with mom, and it doesn't happen, ever.
1: You feel like when they got. Her And they got Richard Boehmer from a casting standpoint. It's like, oh, well, this adds some name value to the film and we can get them in and we get them for one day for whatever their rate is, 25 grand or whatever. And they come in and do two scenes and then get them get them in and out quick. And then Chris Mulkey is the dad. Great character actor. Not a not a, a, a lovable role, certainly. And that's pretty much that. Pretty much rounds out the cast of uh, Foxfire, and we've we've dug into the production team fairly significantly. I am kind of curious. You know, we're we can't help but see ourselves in films. And I, I don't. When I say were you ever, I want to say were you ever part of a girl gang? But when I say a girl gang, I don't necessarily mean an outlaw gang like you know that like like these girls. But like running with a, a group of girls, and did, do you feel like that was represented
0: in this film? Oh, totally, like totally. Uh, yeah, I I definitely hung out with a group of girls that uh, we did school. <laughs> we uh, we middle school, early high school. Yeah, we we did school. Uh, one of my big moments that I remember being like, you know, I think we were in like eighth grade, we uh, ditched school and went off and like uh, just sort of, we went to, of all places, we're a bunch of nerdy kids. That was our thing. We, we went to uh, a school that uh, prided itself on, you know, um, preparing kids for the future. And uh, so our form of rebellion was to ditch school and then go to a bookstore Went to Barnes and Noble and shoplifted books. That was Ooh. <laughs> I know. It was I stole naked lunch. That was my big Oh, Um,
1: yeah, real rebel. So
0: it's like, you know, but you have that thing, you know, uh, and it totally gets the dynamic. One thing I love about the film is it gets the dynamics that are always sort of at play in those groups and sort of who comes to the forefront, who's the leader, who is making sure that things don't go off the rails or, you know, the ones that you have to take care of. You know, I love that it really does understand the dynamics of, groups like that and and groups of kids and groups of girls and sort of the roles that you take on. So I think that film does accurately depict that. And I think that's sort of what is most relatable as you're watching it as a woman is it definitely understands hanging out in a group of girls and what that's like. So, yeah, I definitely, I didn't see myself so much in that regard in terms of, you know, I wasn't doing, uh, you know, the edgiest of things always, but I definitely saw that and seeing sort of like, yeah, this is what it's like to be 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, on some level. So it is what it's sort of like to be a teenage girl. And I think it really does capture that very well and the, the crowning achievement of that film. For me, as a as a viewer of that film and someone who does really love that film, is that it captures that element and is very true to that. I, I guess I somewhat see myself on some level.
1: Yeah. Did you? Was there a legs in your life?
0: The closest. Oh God, was there a legs? I think like, uh, yeah, there there was somewhat of a legs character. Uh, but much more volatile in terms of just like handling group dynamics. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a uh, cattier. The legs was cattier. My legs was much cattier. So we wouldn't go to bat for our legs in that group.
1: Got it. <laughs> Got, it. Got it. Got it. Cool. Well, I- I'm. Not only am I glad that you got me to watch this film, but now having talked with you about it, and this is kind of our, our goal on the show, is that when you approach a, a conversation about film with sort of the curiosity about like, okay, you love this, help me to understand. Give me the the Rosetta Stone to loving this film because I want to love it too. And I feel like you have. And I like just that, I that the the film's focus on the hangout aspect of it really opens up my understanding of the film so much better than when we started. So mission accomplished. Awesome. The world is just a little less wrong <laughs> about this film. And maybe for, maybe that that's the case for some of our listeners as well. So we talked about it in the intro. You, uh you, are uh one of you're a film programmer at the austin film society the film programmer or a a part of a group of film programmers Um,
0: so we have i'm uh part of you know uh my colleague lars nelson who's their lead programmer um i'm the associate programmer i was brought on just a few months ago after having programmed for them for many, many years for a series called Lates. So, um, yeah, sort of uh, taking on a new role within Austin Film Society and beyond just sort of my purview as like their resident weirdo, uh, their weirdo guest programmer. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's been fun and, uh, you know, hopefully can get, uh, get some screenings for more films sort of like this or around in that area that I really do adore and think need, uh, need a little spotlight shown on them every once in a while.
1: You know, I'm thinking that you might be the legs in your life. You know, the weirdo outsider, but now you're brought in, now you're a leader of this gang, of this film gang. Uh, which is funny because that's kind of the role you play in Brian Connolly's film. Make popular movies, the leader of a film gang, <laughs> uh, shouting "cinema Mared, which I think is going to be one is going to be people all over the country are going to be shouting this term in the in the coming year, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you get memed. How how, how was it being a, a, such a, an integral part of probably? the one of the greatest films of the year.
0: <laughs> uh, I have not seen the film. So I have no idea what Connolly has uh, come up with around it. I just know that <laughs> oh, he's in it.
1: Oh, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat. You are well featured. It is one of the great it was it's one of the better moments in the film. Awesome. Uh, of course, people who have not who have also not had a chance to see make popular movies yet might, uh, if they're fans of this show and they have uh, listened to all of our episodes and particularly if they checked out the webpage for our intro episode, our introduction to your hosts episode, uh, we have there a video that I shot at Vulcan video with Brian and uh, that you you may recognize Jasmine's voice from that. She was in the segment where we discussed all the great Hal's in film, from Hal Ashby to Hal Needham, to Hal Roach, uh, to Hal Hartley, and uh, that was that was that was a good time. RIP Vulcan Video, but it's glad to it's glad to I'm glad to see that so many of the uh, the Vulcan Video folks, much like the cast of Foxfire, have gone on to even greater things, like yourself at uh, at the Austin Film Society. Is Is there anything else that? That people should know about you or people can find y- you or your, your work in any ways?
0: I am all over. So uh, I recently contributed to uh, a book on uh, Weird Wednesday, the history of Weird Wednesday, um, written by my, my colleague, my associate, Lars Nelson. Uh, and, yeah, I'm writing some things and contributing elsewhere to some projects that should be released within the coming like year or so. So I'm around that's for sure.
1: And you can be found at the Austin film society.
0: Yes. Every, yes, every week, every weekend, um, at the Austin film society, particularly, uh, hosting lates.
1: Lates. And what is the, what is the late series about?
0: Lates is basically cult films for the art house crowd. So um, things like On the Silver Globe, uh, Space is a Place, uh, you know. So basically any sort of weird, uh, out there, surreal kind of entertainment for the late night audience. So if you want to see The Beast on a Friday night, that's where you show up.
1: May I suggest Mad Dog Time? (laughs)
0: Yes,
1: it's what actually. Just check it. We this is what we do. We uh, I'd say one third of our of the films we cover could could fit into that uh, description. So Mm -hmm. who knows? Maybe there's maybe maybe someday there's a there's a world is wrong late's collaboration. (laughs) Maybe the November Men. uh, Maybe uh, Don's Plum. Oof, you know I don't. I know. It's difficult. It is difficult. But we got to look into the nightmare of that, <laughs> of that film to understand this time. Uh, also one of the rare Jenny Lewis performances. But uh, I, I assume you haven't, but I encourage you to check out our, our episode about Don's Plum where we talk with the writer-producer. And you'd be like, writer? That film was totally improvised. Well, they, they improvised it in rehearsals and then... And, so, and there was a writer involved in that process. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not a pleasant film. Not not as fun to hang out with, with those guys. I would much rather hang out with, with the women from Foxfire than with those guys. Even though I would be more welcome with them, probably. Until I started talking. And then they would have treated me like they treated everyone else. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, but uh, it's been fun. And... I would, I'd love to have you back on the show to talk about more of these films. I know you, you recommended gun gun crazy. Yes. Yes. That's another film we could do.
0: Awesome. I'd love to talk about it. Uh, Yeah. Gun crazy. Anything else on that list? It would be a joy.
2: Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called the director's wall examining a filmmaker's career film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe by Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.
1: Hey, this is an ad. Don't fast forward. We'll be over in a second. Are you obsessed with a sports team, a band, or even collecting Chia pets? then listen to my new podcast, Rep Your Squad, on Paper House Network, where I dive into what drives people crazy. So if you're a 40-year-old man with a stand collection, or a middle-aged woman who loves the Spice Girls, that's cool. We don't judge here on Rep Your Squad with me, Chris Scopo. See? It's over. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show.
2: That's good. That was great. Well, I thought so yeah. too. There was,
1: I learned a lot. I learned a lot in that in in interview
2: i i too am guilty of not seeing this movie or other movies like it in the 90s because i was a teenage boy in the 90s so i kind of like the idea of a movie with just a bunch of, of ladies in it for you almost whatever. said
1: girls you almost said girls you were, <laughs> a, kid. You were a boy then but you said yeah. you almost said girls i heard well, it. But we the, all heard it. Are, let's just be women, honest
2: these are women they're older than me uh but they're like, teenagers. Yeah, like I they're never, girls. like I never saw any of the angsty girl stuff. I kind of avoided it intentionally because I was like, ah, and like I grew up with two brothers. I had no sister, so as a dumb teenage boy, I never saw this movie. I never saw The Craft. I never saw um any of the Drew Barrymore movies where she's, <laughs> you know, wiling out. It's <laughs> never. Ever see
1: Little Witches?
2: Is that a thing? Not, I've never heard of that. It's not a movie?
1: That's a real movie. I had a I had a song Little in it. Witches? Little Witches. It's a craft rip-off oh, from great. producer no, Don Porchers I... <laughs> of Two Moon Junction and and uh Far From nice. Home.
2: Oh, nice. I love Two Moon Junction. Um, yeah. The <laughs> uh, Steamy. Uh But yeah, no i never Yeah, I didn't watch these movies, you know, be, you know. So now I think it's great that it's time to pay attention because I feel This one I never heard of until you did this episode. I never heard of Foxfire, despite the star power behind it. You know, like Jenny Lewis, Angelina Jolie. Like, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I also have never read a Joyce Carol Oates novel. Have you?
1: No, you bastard. You had to (laughs) out me. No.
2: (laughs) Yeah, never did it.
1: (laughs) Maybe we should.
2: What are the other big, like... I, like I know the name, and I'm assuming other books of hers got made into movies. What were the other big what were the big joyce carroll Oates uh books? I have no idea
1: uh well, let's see uh oh blonde is that the one that they're currently making into a i think they're making is a that the Marilyn Monroe Marilyn Monroe thing? Thing?
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: Wow. You know, Joyce Carol Oates wrote a whole lot of books. I, I've read as many of hers as I have read Philip Roth, which is to say none. Zero. But really? I hear <laughs> about them all the time.
2: No, have <laughs> I re- never read a Philip Roth? I really started read reading... read The Human Stain or anything? I
1: listened to The Human Stain as a book on tape. On ta- li- I've listened to several of his books on tape when I was traveling with my... or actually traveling as a solo artist because the band wouldn't let me listen to him. But uh, I should probably listen to more Joyce Carol Oates on the one I'm yeah, driving up drive. and down the coast. Yeah.
2: And then I'm guessing it's because of the Pacific Northwesty connection to this movie. But there's two people from Twin Peaks in this movie, Chris oh, yeah. Mulkey and John and uh, Richard Baimer. Yeah. So I wonder if it's the same casting person or those guys just live kind of in.
1: Well, the casting person was Molly Finn. Mally Finn uh, whose daughter is like is a big casting director now and she cast me in The Prom oh. with Jennifer Jason Lee and she also that meant she also cast Cole Hauser. Yeah. Um she just I felt Mally Finn had a re, had a finger knows. on the pulse yeah. of something around then and I said it in the conversation with Jasmine but you know watching it that was what really struck me was like oh my god this film the casting in this film is so phenomenal you know we've been there's this whole thing in the oscars like they're uh, removing or downplaying some categories uh, behind the scenes categories and on the other hand i've been seeing a lot of people talking about how we should expand the oscars yeah. and casting yeah. definitely is oh, yeah. something that well you can it's so invisible unless it becomes visible, and it's just because I have the connection with this cast and director that I sort of was aware while I was watching it. Oh, someone assembled this cast, yeah, and left me out of it, which is really pissing me <laughs> off. <on>. No, uh,
2: <laughs> but how, how old were how old were you in ninety six or you know?
1: Yeah, like, I was. I was. You were
2: too old to be high school. By the, I or know. Even, even Hollywood right. High School. You You're, were right. You're right.
1: You're right. You're right. Like, they who couldn't... are you going to
2: be in there? Do you want to be like, the, you know, like who Maddie?
1: The... I could have been Maddie. Yeah.
2: Okay. You don't.
1: You didn't watch the film. <laughs> Maddie's <laughs> a girl who's the protagonist. Uh, no, uh, it's okay. It's fine. I. I. It's funny. Uh, Angelina <laughs> Jolie has a similar kind of reveal for her character. As my character in my episode of Good Morning, Miss Bliss. So that's as much as I need. I'm fine. We both <laughs> wore black and walked into a classroom and scared everybody. So I did not set a mouse free. <laughs> or not a mouse, a frog. She set a, a frog free because she is a princess, <laughs> which is not at all Should've the been. kind of film she is in. Anyway, uh and then, what did you think about how, in the middle, like I did not—you totally it at all. realize
2: I love it that you're like, wait a minute, I know this person who made this movie. <laughs> That's hilarious because it's funny because you always do so much prep and so much research before any episode. So it's funny that you just totally <laughs> missed that you had worked uh, with Annette haywood Carter before on on Nightmare Four because she was the script supervisor, right? Yeah, and I had actually
1: no. <laughs> looked at all—a lot of her—I I looked at her IMDb credits for script supervising and saw how it basically stopped right when she got this. And it made me think of, you know, just, oh, well, script supervisors, that's a behind-the-line thing that's re- that I know is really important, incredibly valuable as an actor— because a lot of times you're shooting part of a scene one day and then part of a scene the, the other day, or you're walking in one door one day and you're walking in the door the next day. And the person who takes the notes and makes sure that, okay, when you walked through that door, you had your hand in your right pocket or you were holding this thing in your left hand and you don't want to walk through the door holding it in your right hand. And the script supervisor is often the one who's noting that and communicating that to the actors. So you have a very... Uh, a very direct interaction with that person. And on a film like Nightmare on Elm Street, where you're doing lots of, you're shooting a lot of it out of, uh, out of sequence because of stunts and multiple sets working at once.
2: Facts and all that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and young actors who don't have a lot of, so her job on the film, I have, since then, I've had memories come back about how much she helped me as an actor, which makes me feel bad that then I came into to the, the episode <laughs> kind of hot, being critical of a film that, I've, that Jasmine helped me to appreciate a lot more. But damn, Savannah is tough. I'm sorry. It's beautiful. It's uh, <laughs> I, it's a mess. I can't. Uh, it hurts. What well, You should watch you it. it. We, should, we should do it. We should watch it. We should, yeah. We should do an episode but, about help me. Help me uh, with this film because I can. not
2: But she was script supervisor on a lot of big stuff. She did Driving Miss Daisy, Die Hard 2, uh, Cliffy. Rennie Hanger. Harlan. That's Rennie. She followed Yeah, she said Rennie, uh, Rennie Harlan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Die Hard 2, yeah, Cliffhanger, like all Rennie Harlan stuff, but then she did The Flintstones, the big Flintstones movie, Casper at flu- at f- play in the fields of the Lord, the 1992 version of Of Mice and Men. I believe, is that the one with Gary Sinise and John Malkovich, I'm guessing? That seems right. The Wrong Guys, the Louis Anderson movie. <laughs> big movies to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's really cool that like, it's just cool to see somebody kind of work the, in this area and be able to leap from that to director, you know, like it really is the year after like Casper was 95 and then Foxfire is 96. So it's cool that it's not like, cause there's always this sort of like, it seems so hard to crack. Like, how do you become a director? How do you direct in Hollywood? And usually what you think it is, is like, Oh, you make a short film and it plays festivals and you make a smaller film. And then eventually you're a director, or maybe you're a second unit director But, like, to go from script supervisor to director is great. I think that's amazing. Um, Very cool.
1: Actually, that film launched then at least two consequential women directors. The producer, Rachel Talalay, Mm -hmm. on Nightmare 4. I think she may have started as a script supervisor, or she started very below the line on Nightmare 1 or 2. And worked her way up to the to producer in four, and I believe did she direct Nightmare Five?
3: Who she directed
1: Fred uh, Rachel Talalay. She shot no. Uh, she shot, She was the director of Freddy's Dead, the final Nightmare. Mm, and yeah. she's also done a lot of. She did a, a bunch of episodes of Sherlock. She's just done. She's done a lot of TV, like very. High quality, a lot of British TV. Um, and so another way that Nightmare 4 elevated women. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will accept my awards. No. Uh.
2: <laughs> yeah, because she directed Tank Girl, kind of the other sort of like Riot Girl Hollywood movie of the mid 90s. Yes. Yeah, that was in yeah. 95, so right the year before this. So very, I remember very... she
1: was an Elvis Costello fan. That's how we bonded. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so as well as not being aware of uh, Annette Haywood Carter being someone who I actually knew, I probably never called her Annette Haywood Carter, I, but I do remember Annette. Uh, so, uh, but beyond that, I have a, uh, there's a few corrections that need to be made. Shame, shame, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 made a few errors.
2: All right, let's hear it.
1: First of all, as Wendell B Harris Jr. was so nice to spend so much time talking with me. It was it's incredibly rude that I keep saying that his film won the Grand Jury Prize at uh, in at the festival in 1989 when in fact it was 1990. He spent a lot yeah. of his career trying to correct this uh <clears throat> Not for me. So I'm repeating (laughs) misinformation that I receive from people who are putting out maybe disinformation, (laughs) uh, possibly malinformation. I don't know. But whatever it was, yeah. It's
2: 89 with Sex, Lies, and Videotape, right? That's the year that Yes. 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 Okay. Um, Okay. It makes sense now.
1: And going back to episode 70.
2: Whoa, we're going back. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Two episodes ago, three epi- I don't oh, no many uh, actually, yeah, well, whatever. I don't know how, because I don't know how many where we're at because we just were recording this well into our schedule. But back on episode 70, Cosmic Slop, I mistakenly, in reference to Brown Bunny. Wait a second. Was it in... It was either in Cosmic Slop or Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff. We may need a correction for this correction, correction. For the correction. But at least in the last couple of episodes, there was a point where we were talking about Brown Bunny, and I said, well, what if we saw it from Cheryl Ladd's point of view? Of course, Cheryl Ladd's point of view on Brown Bunny would be the same point of view of all of us as viewers because she wasn't in <laughs> Brown Bunny. Cheryl Teagues was in <laughs> Brown Bunny. They both were uh, our... our both pretty ladies pa-
2: of the 70s. <laughs> Women who,
1: who held a very powerful sway over my young mind, as, as feverish as it was in those young days. And I got my Cheryl's mixed up. But yes, Cheryl Teagues is the, uh, is the breakout star of Brown Bunny, and yeah. Cheryl Ladd is the breakout star of my heart in the <laughs> early 80s.
2: Maybe you could do a weird science thing where you could put both women together. Like no, why like would fif- I do... No, If you were 15, no, no, like in the 80s, no, and you could have made no, your two, two Cheryls no. into one person.
1: No, Jordan Ladd is a Two-headed. friend of mine. I don't want to mess... Do anything to mess with her wonderful <laughs> and fully integral mother. And, uh, and then probably most egregiously of all, I can't even... I really can't even... Uh, I, I'm, lo- I'm at a loss for words as to how to apologize for this oversight, because it was so needed during our episode about Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff. When we were discussing the career of Marvin J. Chomsky, of course, we focused on Holocaust and roots, but we forgot to mention that he also is the director of Evil Knievel from
2: 1971. <laughs> Which is that the one he used the song for in The Brown Bunny? <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. Man, yeah. And, uh, and a movie <laughs> that I feel like we have to do now. Cause keeps coming I feel like back.
2: <laughs> like well, Evil Knievel keeps rising up to come back. Thinking
1: of, yeah, thinking of Evil Knievel in the context of Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff, Roots, and, the, and Holocaust, <laughs> there's something that, re- that I feel like there's un- <laughs> unexplored depths in the film uh, evil knievel so
2: I think how much more happier we would have been if we ended wyckoff's episode just listening to playing out that song the evil knievel theme song then we would have <laughs> left on a high as opposed to a bummer
1: i know evil
2: knievel <laughs> evil knievel so good so you know you should end this episode again with that sense, <laughs> such as beer. Are going. Away. It has nothing to do with it at all. But who cares? No, no.
1: let <laughs> no. we're gonna we're gonna go Listen out. Listen to our, some... our
2: our. Did we play it on the Brown Bunny episode? I think it's yeah. There. yeah, yeah. We did. Listen to that. You'll hear one of the great songs of of cinema. Um.
1: <laughs> Goes with the film. So good. So bad. <laughs> like it is. It is a so bad. It's good movie. And we don't really do that. But sometimes, you know, sometimes when it's it hits such a fever pitch of that. It flips over to actually just being good again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's, that's (laughs) the trick that beyond the Valley of the dolls pulled that, uh, it, it was the first time I'd ever seen a movie do that. And since then I've been just, I'm, I hunger for those moments where you watch something and it just goes, it really goes full bore on its tone in a way that, uh, well, that just is terrible, but it's a symphony of terrible, which becomes genius. So, <laughs> anyway, um, so I apologize for all of those, and I will continue to endeavor to be correct, and when I am incorrect, to to correct myself as much as I correct others. Which is, you know, one of the all annoying the, things about being my friend all the right, time. Brian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we at now in this thing? Okay. Uh, oh well, we we we. Here's an exciting thing, Brian. In the in the last couple of weeks, I've noticed that we have had an uptick of listeners in Australia. In fact, wow. last week we had more listeners in Australia than we have in our own home country of the United States of America. And wow. so. Uh, so it's very exciting to to know that there are some folks in New South Wales, I believe, listening to the wow. world is wrong, and welcome to our yeah welcome to our world, and we'd love to hear from you if you're. Ju- I, I I wonder if it's just like two roommates who have just downloaded everything.
2: <laughs> Let's hear. I want to hear from those two roommates. Yeah, reach maybe, out to us, yeah. two guys, or classroom, or you know, yeah. What breaks room at work? This? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's-
3: uh, some yeah.
1: some big paperboy fans, <laughs> yeah, in, uh, or maybe Wendell B Harris fans. I don't know. Maybe Wendell B Harris Jr. has a has well, a nice little Australian following.
2: Well, I hope they enjoyed our in the cut episode, the one Australian filmmaker we've done so far, Jane Campion.
1: Is that really the only
2: one? That's it.
1: Uh, well, I bet they're sick of here of of having her be their only one.
2: Uh, we'll we'll do a poll. Well, oh no, wait, movie, we've guys. done guys, don't
1: worry. And we've done George <laughs> Miller. We did the well we talked about George Miller a lot during the Nicole Kidman Kid-mania. Yeah, but we
2: didn't do a. we didn't really do an episode about a movie he made yet. Which I don't would know. of Nicole course Nicole Kidman be is a movie he, movie he made. Yeah, that's true. He made the movie that is Nicole Kidman, yes. Um Oh yeah, and I guess Nicole Kidman counts, of course, but not a filmmaker, an actress. But we did a whole month. Producer. So. And producer,
1: yeah. She's a filmmaker. I would say once you're that much of a star and you're producing your own stuff. You make the movie, yeah, yeah. You're a filmmaker. You hire the director. So (laughs) you
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, uh, yeah, welcome, welcome. Uh, I'm not going to attempt an Australian accent, and I hope you appreciate it.
2: Well, I will, and you can not appreciate it. Good day, mates.
1: Demonstration of why I didn't do that. Okay, <laughs> but you know it's you. You can be forgiven for being so enthusiastic, and on this day <laughs> because this when we're, the week we're recording this, the beginning of March, you've just returned from the world premiere of your film, Make Popular Movies, at which yeah. you broke many hearts by. Walking away with all of the awards from the uh, Prison City Film Festival. Yeah, Prison City yeah, Film Festival—not a made-up name, real really. Thing. Yeah, a real thing. What? What, yeah. what? What? What drove? What? What? Uh, what made you choose the Prison City Film Festival as your premiere? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what was premiere screening of your they, debut they feature. They
2: just—I wanted to show it in Texas because it's where it was made and it's where I live. And just when I was going through looking at festivals, it just looked really cool. It just looked. Re- it's only been around for five years. Um, I think this was the fifth year. And just like looking at pictures and looking how fun it was. And it's in a cool old historic theater. And I'm like, perfect. This is, it's not too far from Austin. Let's go. Let's do it. And so, yeah, we had the premiere. Uh, and it was great. It went really well. And then uh, won three awards. one Best year. U.S. Narrative Feature, Best Comedy, and Best Director, and there was a lot of good movies at the festival, so it really was an honor to win those three. Uh, and now I can say I'm an award-winning filmmaker, so I can rub that in everyone's face for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> if I were you, I don't know if that's if that, I, I I'd say go for it, but I would. Uh, why you bury the lead? You start with, I won Best Director at the Prison City Film Festival. You yeah. motherfucker. And you know
2: who never won Best Director at the Oscars? Orson Welles. Just saying.
1: So you're nothing like Orson Welles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make Mank too. Well, in a way, wait a
1: second. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, you are like Orson Welles. In that, when you were at the peak of your... Creative and uh, sort of your, at the peak of your power in the Austin film scene, you recognized a plucky young kid <laughs> like your own Peter Bogdanovich, who you welcomed into your world, put in your movie, make popular movies, in a very memeable role. Yeah. And then she has gone on to, uh, well, obviously <laughs> to to overshadow you and become yeah, basically yeah. your boss yeah. at the Austin <laughs> Film Society. Yeah,
2: basically. Yeah. A, not
1: just the boss, but a, <laughs> like a celebrity, a star, a, 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 yeah. a leader of culture, filling rooms and minds. <laughs> and uh, and you're and you're left to wonder why didn't she come to your pre- even come to the premiere of uh, make popular movies because she's too yes. big for you now she's out trying to you know yeah luckily she's not hooking up with Sybil Shepherd as far as I know but who knows I hope I hope her I hope things go well for her in uh, all of, in all of her endeavors but the point is that in that sense you are like Orson Welles is that you <laughs> assisted a rising star in Jasmine Moreno I do- <laughs>
2: I don't know if Jasmine wants to be an actress, but she's a very good one, and she's in my movie for about thirty seconds. But it's a great thirty seconds, and she will be in the next movie for at least thirty seconds. I'm just gonna keep putting her in, if she'll let me. Um. Cinema <laughs> <med>. <laughs> That's my. That's
1: I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be saying that. It's gonna become one of my quotes that I say. As a non sequitur in conversations and people are just left not knowing what I'm talking about.
2: <laughs> yeah, until they see my movie at some local shindig.
1: Yeah. Well, because yeah. it's gonna it is gonna be, it's it's the it's the beginning of the age of Golson. So <laughs> get ready, folks. Get yeah. ready. Yeah. Uh okay, well, thanks a lot to Jasmine Moreno for being a part of this. Thank you, Brian, for introducing do singer to me, and thank you all for, I don't know, listening to this podcast, because I figure if you're hearing me say this, then you have. And if you'd like to give us your thoughts and your concerns, if you want to, you know, help us with any corrections, maybe suggest a Joyce Carroll Oates novel that we should check out, or more than one, uh, we'll, we'll, Read those on the show, you can re- uh, reach out to us. No, we're not going to read the book on the show. We'll read your letter on the show oh, okay. about the book. Thank you for laughing as a corrective to my uh, mis- uh, confusing speech. And of course, coming up next week, it's. Oh it's the biggest Ooh. night It's the biggest night in cinema. Uh, it's the Oscars. Yes. Our next episode is going to be the Oscars, where we celebrate we did it. films that got no nominations. Zero nominations. That's why we call them our non-manees. And, <laughs> and we're going to have some guests. Don't yeah. know all of the guests that are going to be there, but we'll definitely have the return of A.J. Gonzalez and Jen Brown to share yeah. their non of course, you and I yeah. have been working our lists feverishly. Yep and uh yeah so uh the noscars are coming anything you know are you excited or do you know what I'm, you're gonna wear
2: uh yeah i'm gonna wear i i got a nice i knew i learned how to tie a bow tie now like i taught myself last week so i'm gonna tie a bow tie for the noscars you won't be able to see it but you'll know that my, my my neck will be a little tight
1: but you'll be wearing no shirt
2: and no pants. There's only a bow tie. And it's like total Chip and Dale's look is what I'm going.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really sweating these. I, I don't know why. Cause you know, I know I'm saying it's the biggest night of the year, but we probably shouldn't be sweating our nominees <laughs> as much as I am, but there yeah. are some major battles in my mind, particularly in the <laughs> acting, actually in all categories.
2: Maybe there'll be a tie, a, a rare tie.
1: I feel like I want to do a world is wrong about my own nominees. Like everyone that I, choose, <laughs> that I choose, I want to boo and protest and say, no, but the runner up is the one we really should have been celebrating.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well.
1: It's the inside of my mind, Brian. <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with us with any communication, you can write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You don't do it enough. I'm sorry, the Jewish mother in me comes out. You don't have a <laughs> right, and it makes me so sad. It's okay. I know you're very busy, but we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to just sort of creepily watch us from the corner, you can do that on Instagram at the World Is Wrong Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at World Is Wrong Pod. And there is a page devoted to every one of these episodes on our website, www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. Yeah. And uh, we didn't mention it, but you can always find Brian's other podcast, uh, The Director's Wall, where they're – you can find that wherever you find your podcasts. And they're currently looking at the films of Francis Ford Coppola. Mm -hmm. You can find my other podcast – uh the radio 8 ball show at radio 8 show or www.radio8ball.com all one word with the number 8 in the middle and beyond that uh i hope that you find your own personal legs wherever you are even if you are your own legs and of course that's a reference to the character from the film of course you are your own legs who else who else who else's legs would you be anyway uh with that said Just remember that wherever you are, the world is wrong, and it's probably wrong about you. How do you know if a guy's good in bed?
2: Bye. How many times he makes me come? Do you want to come inside my house? Do you want to show me things I've never seen before? I don't want to tie you down. I just wanna tie you up, do you wanna come inside my house? I wrote that myself, what do you think? I think you need to get laid.
1: That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store.